listening to Behind the Design, featuring the best in the interior design industry. Hi, everyone. Today, we're lucky enough to have Darla Powell with us. Uh, this is Lee and Alex from Ivy. So let me tell you a little bit about Darla. Darla brings a fun, genuine, down-to-earth approach to designing beautiful spaces. Since she launched her design firm in 2016, clients have fallen in love with her work, growing her business almost exclusively by word of mouth. In her past life, Darla spent almost 20 years as a detective sergeant in Miami, Florida. Honestly, this is by far the coolest bio I've ever read. So <laughs> go Darla. Your <laughs> careers are more similar than you may think. Of course, as an interior designer, there are 100% fewer shots fired. Well, maybe 99% less. Uh, one might say she's an expert on the importance of having complete tranquility at home after a stressful day at work. Her background was, has carried over so many hidden perks, including a strong sense of integrity, accountability, and a ready-for-anythingness that is key for home renovation projects. Her career transformation was fueled by a need to express her boundless creativity. After endless childhood summers spent rummaging through her grandmother's antique store, she developed an extensive knowledge of antiques, collectibles, and pieces that look perfect together. Above all, Darla loves creating rooms that are gorgeous, elegant, and soothing. Thank you so much, Charlotte, for being with us today. Thanks so much, guys, for having me. I'm so excited. You were so excited to have you on, Darla. And I actually remember when I first heard about your career path, it might have been on another podcast, and I was so incredibly inspired. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners will get so inspired by it as well. So I would love for you to share a little bit how that transition happened from being a sergeant in the Miami <laughs> Police, that's unbelievable and so amazing, um, to you know, following your path and, and love for design. So what steps did you actually take to make it happen? Right. Well, you know, it's, I find it so incredible that anyone's surprised by that because isn't that just a normal transition when you retire from being a cop to go into interior design? Doesn't every cop do that? You would know that more than us. <laughs> no, they, they really don't. Um, you know, I, I wanted to do it ever since I was a kid, but you know, when I was younger, I had no idea it was an actual career path, right? Okay. So in high school, the guidance counselors didn't say, oh, you know, you're creative. Why don't you go into interior design? So I just kind of floated around for a while, became a um, certified law enforcement officer in the state of Florida and kind of fell into actually being in law enforcement and I enjoyed it. I was, I was helping people, you know, but it wasn't meeting my creative side so much. And I always had the desire to do interior design in the background. And one day I just decided, um, you know what, let me, I, I want to do this. I have people telling me I'm good at it. I should do it for a living. And we started to do a side hustle for the interior design business. And it started taking off. People started actually calling, much to our surprise. We're like, oh, oh wait a minute. People actually want me to design their spaces. Now what? That's and I couldn't, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. And I couldn't do both equally well. And I'm not someone who likes to do anything half-assed, if I can say that. Yeah. So, <laughs> Natalie and I decided, you know what, we're going to do it. Let's go for it. The, the response has been positive and, you know, That's I believe fun. in you and, and Darla Powell and Carrie's been born. That's amazing. And how did you, you know, 
get the education around uh, being an interior designer, how did you really set up your steps for success in that in this right. kind of business? Well, you know, I don't have a formal education in interior design, right? I grew up with my mom um, doing her own stores, my grandmother doing her own stores, you know, window displays and them doing interior design. So it's kind of, I like to say it's in my DNA, you know, for the, so when I do designs, it's actually just self-taught, which I, it just comes natural to me. It's hard to explain how. I do have licensed and um, degreed interior designers on staff, you know, for when I do need them. But for me, it's just something that just comes naturally to me. It's, it's really kind of effortless, which I, you know, and there's a, a lot of people that are in that same boat as well. Mm -hmm. So. That's exciting. That's really inspiring. I think it's inspiring for anyone that's in a career path that might not be interior design today, but it just shows that they can build a thriving business with the right passion, the 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 right you know energies, and the right work work ethic. Right, and you do have you do have to have a certain. You can't just go out and like say if you're not good at it, right? You have to go be yeah. you know you have to have a talent. You also have to have a decent business mindset, yeah. and in those areas that maybe aren't your strong suit, like I don't have a degree in interior design, I know to hire those people that do to fill in those gaps. And that's important. Yep. So I'd love to talk a bit about your process of bringing on a new client. Do you do an in-person consultation? Do you charge for these consultations? Have you ever decided not to bring on a client following that type of consultation? Just walk us through uh, your process and how you've tweaked it to work best for your business. Yes, to all that. <laughs> um, yeah, we do. We do our initial consultation. We do charge for it, and we charge for that right off the bat. I did do some experimentation in the very beginning of offering free consultations versus the paid consultation. And how I would differentiate those was my free consultation would be maybe, say, a 30-minute, just kind of, you know, get to know the client, get to know the vibe, and see if we were a good fit. And for some reason, those didn't really pan out as well as the paid consultations, right? So I found that the paid consultations, they really serve to vet the client and gauge their, their sincerity and their seriousness, right? They're not just tire kickers. So after doing a couple of the free consultations, we just decided, you know what, no, it's um, with our client load and everything, we're just going to do the paid consultation. And actually, we started out at uh, $2.95 for a two-hour consultation, and now we're at $4.25 for a 90-minute consultation. Wow, that's amazing. And what happens when you do, when they pay that, uh, what did you say, for $4.95? $4.25 for 90 minutes, yeah. Okay, so when they pay that $4.25 for a 90-minute consultation, and mm -hmm. let's say see some red flags and I'd love to hear what those red flags are from clients you don't take on. Um, mm -hmm. How do you handle, how do you handle that consultation fee that they just paid? You mean, how do I process it or how do I, what do they you, get for you, it? You, you keep that, you keep that fee still, right? Regardless of if yes. you take on that. that I do. And the reasoning behind that is because, you know, whether or not they decide to hire us in the end for that 90 minutes. And I, I like to say 90 minutes, but I like to over, um, uh, uh, under promise and over deliver so we might go up to two hours right so they feel like they've really gotten their money's worth but just in case it's just a small space I'll limit it to 90 minutes and um, when we're there for the 425 I don't hold back right if I'm there if I'm inspired for them to do something in their space or if they need particular colors for their space or a layout I'll do whatever's possible to do in the 90 minutes and what that serves to do is it's giving them value for that 425 and it's right. also it's also giving them an opportunity to see how I work, you know, and how, how, how I move, how my brain works, how my thought processes are, and, you know, what my aesthetic is like. 
And luckily, I'm able to read them very quickly and get a good feel of what their aesthetic is. So th that usually works out really well. And if for some reason they decide, you know, we don't want to go full service design, they still have they still have nuggets of information, you know, that they paid for that they can use on their own with somebody else. So it's it's win win. Yeah, it makes sense that you'd be charging a solid amount for your time. At the same time, be generous with your feedback during the consult. This way, mm -hmm. it's a win win for everybody. Yeah, I, I like to make sure that I leave them with a great value for the 425 because mm -hmm. that we, that is also with us a standalone service. Yeah. Right. So, so there, we do have some DIY clients that have no desire to hire us down the road to go full time, uh, full service design with us. So they just might want a nudge in the right direction. So mm -hmm. we're more than happy to give that to them as well. And do you mind touching on those red flags? So I'd love to hear what are three warning signs of like, this is not a client that I want to take on for full service. Well, I've had a couple, right? Um, I, I did end up, end up taking them on though, and they actually ended up being lovely. But if I have a consultation and they don't really want to be forthcoming with information or they expect me to be a mind reader, I'm pretty good at it, but I'm not, you know, not Kreskin. I, I, can't, can't, I can't read their mind exactly. And, or if they don't want to tell me a budget, if they want to hold back on a budget, or if they've worked with an interior designer before, or several interior designers who only have had negative experiences, those are things I look out for too. Uh, you know, it's just when you have a, a client or a client that might say, you know, I, is it okay? We, we did have one client that said, um, I understand that you can get us um, trade goods at a discount, but is it okay if I just get them on my own because, you know, so-and-so works for, and I can get this discount or, you know, if they're really budget shopping, you know, or, or I can tell that they want to, you know, budget shop under me, under my services, that might be a little bit of a, not even, not a red flag so much, but I'm definitely will help me choose which program I put them on design wise. Mm -hmm. Makes sense. And so once you've landed that client, what are the fun fundamentals you follow when handling the projects? Tell us a little bit about the steps from consultation to installation and how that evolved over the years since you started your business. Right. So we were lucky right out the gate because I got my start. I got really good framework listening to interior design podcasts like, you know, Luann Nagar's Well-Designed Business, Chase Lounge, and Kimberly Selden. Um, we kind of started with her for her 15 steps from the get-go, which I've modified somewhat to suit the way we work. But it's very similar to her 15 steps. Um, her 15-step process, you know, the consultation, the proposal, the design, the budget meeting, you know, then all the project management. And then at the very end, we try to do, although not all clients are want to be surprised, but we try to do a reveal day, <laughs> like, you know, like you would see in HGTV and kind yeah, of, that is yeah, get, yeah, get the clients to kind of go skedaddle for, you know, a day or something, go to the beach or something. And we stage it with whatever we feel will suit the space. And then if they want to keep the accessories they're they're welcome to purchase it. That's so fun. Yeah, we, we, that's a favorite part. I, I love that. And then the photographer comes in and shoots the whole space. But the, the longest stretch of that, of course, is the project management because we tend to get um, projects that are not just decorating projects, but renovations. So mm -hmm. that does, it does take a little bit of a while. Yeah, of course. And how has that, has this process really been the process you've had from the beginning? It sounds like it has been, or have you? It has. In the beginning, we were charging um, a flat rate and we were undercharging. Mm. a bit right so on some of those clients that i could tell that might just need a little bit more guidance a little bit more hand holding shall we say we do an hourly rate 
you know, and, and just to make sure that that's covered because I can tell we're going to need a little bit more legwork in there. And but now we do a flat rate kind of a la Kimberly Selden, where we charge one uh, rate for a specific project and a separate additional rate for project management. Mm -hmm. So we've kind of, that's what we're doing at the moment. But every now and then we'll just go hourly with just consulting or. Yeah, it's no, an ever-changing process. It really is. For really most is. firms, and mm -hmm. it's hard to find the, the magic recipe that works across all projects. I think it's such a client-based industry, right? Depending on the project, the scope, right. and the person you're dealing with on a daily basis. Right. And then depending on how involved they want to be. If it's a client, we have a questionnaire. Exactly. It may suck yeah. out your energy more than mm -hmm. others. Um, so it's right. really interesting that the process that most firms go through. It, it is, and we're still kind of figuring out organically, you know, how do we work the most efficiently, right? Like, maybe we need 14 steps and not 15. Maybe some of it's redundant. So we, should, we still kind of tweak, but I found that um, Kimberly Selden's framework is a terrific launching yeah. uh, pad for that. Great. That's so good to know. I'm sure many of our listeners today will go check that out, and it sounds like they'll learn a lot from Kimberly. Um, yeah, yeah. She's a wealth of info. Uh, so the next one, which I think a lot of people, it's a hot topic issue because I think people really sit on either side of the fence on this one. Do you take clients shopping with you? Tell us a bit about your perspective on this. You know, I haven't. Thank goodness. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I, just have, I haven't run into that. And it's just, it's not that I won't. I just, we structure it in such a way that when we do our presentations, when we pick uh, items for the space, we have, okay, here's choice A. Usually it's just choice A, and we have a backup with choice B, and they usually nine times out of ten pick one, you know, one of the two. Mm -hmm. So they usually pick choice A, but just in case, we'll pull choice B out of our hat. And like I said before, on staging day, we do go shopping, but not with a client or you know ahead of time. And then we have all the accessories and we stage the house, and that's pretty much our you know, what we, what we feel the house needs to be staged to look pretty. So so far, I haven't gotten any clients that request going shopping with it. Would I? I imagine I would. It wouldn't be my first choice, though, because it's so expensive, so time-consuming, and it, it opens up a whole can of worms, right? And I think the client really is hiring us to give them direction, right? Once we have that certain aesthetic in line, and I, and I know what makes them tick. And I think when you go shopping, then that just really, they, they're going to be prepared to open up your pocketbook for hours. It, it's very time-consuming. It is very time consuming. And I think that says a lot about your skills as a designer too, to be able to convey your aesthetic and suggestions, you know, through a presentation and have them go with it for the most, for the most part. It's pretty. Thank amazing. you. Yeah. I think that's why they're hiring us, right? I think it would, it would be a disservice to, yep. you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure there are clients that go out and they say, I just want to shop and you, you know, pick A or B with me, but I, I haven't run into that yet. And that's probably partially also because of how we market. You know, that's where we're, we market mostly full service renovation. So mm. that hasn't come up yet. That makes sense. And so I wanted to touch on your business model a little bit. So again, that's something that we know is ever evolving and you've touched on that a little bit. And it sounds like you've learned so much from various um, sources. So I'd love to hear, you know, how, have you, how, how did you end up structuring it in a way for you to be most profitable? I'm sorry, you broke up. Can you repeat the last part? Yeah, so how did you structure your business model in a way for you to be most profitable? Meaning you, you know, do you put an emphasis on markups? Do markups plus your flat rate fee that you mentioned previously? Um, what is the secret sauce to making your business as successful as it can be? 
Right. Well, you know, when I first started too, another aside from, you know, getting lucky with learning from the podcast is I got on Ivy pretty, pretty quickly. And you guys have a fabulous group over on Ivy, right, with a wealth of mm -hmm. knowledge. So from that, people, mentors like Susan Winterstein and others, they talked up, you know, mark up your products, you know, don't split your discount. So we were, we experimented with splitting the discount. We experimented with doing a competitive markup. And um, that's what we do now. We not only do we charge a fair time for the hourly to cover that, but when they do buy through us through mostly trade only, we try to push trade only sources. We mark that up and we make uh, margin 40%, at least margin on the markups for our furnitures and such. We're getting a little bit better about that because mm -hmm. a lot of my clients to educate them on trade only sources, you know, they used to see, you know, waker.com or, or, you know, other sources like that. So just to sell them the value of some of the trade only stuff, but that really, I mean, the back end on that has really boosted our revenue. Oh, that's great to hear. Yeah. And what would be one of the biggest mistakes you've made when working with a client? And what did this teach you? And how do you do things differently today? Well, so when I first started, I was a little bit passive. And I still am to an extent. I tend to kind of err to being the passive nice side. <laughs> I'm learning to get a little bit more aggressive and standing in my space a little bit better. My first couple of clients, I, I, even though I knew in my head, look, that's a bad thing. We don't want to do this. We want to go this route. I kind of let them walk over me a little bit and give me that kind of say, no, this, I, don't, I don't trust that this is going to look good. I think this is going to look better. And if I had stood in my space right from the beginning and said, listen, you know, respectfully, you pay me a good amount of money. <laughs> this is going to look fabulous. This is why you're paying me. It would have saved me a couple of months because we ended up doing that in the end. But because I kind of, you know, walked around it and, and pussyfooted around that, you know, that kind of cost me some time and some money. And also one of the mistakes that I made in the beginning was undercharging. I think a lot of us do that. We undervalue our time and our skills and our worth. And when I started bringing up my, my hourly to, you know, a respectable amount, actually the level of clients and the job satisfaction has improved a lot. Oh, that's so That's really, first of all, probably very empowering for our community to hear. That's going to have more people feel the confidence to be able to charge really what they're bringing to the table. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you have to because people are going to look at that. If people see a designer on Google that charges, you know, 70 bucks an hour, compared to a designer that charges $150 an hour, I'm, I don't know about you, but I'm thinking, what's wrong with a $70 an hour one? Right. You know, why, why are they so inexpensive? I'm not saying to be the most expensive, but you know, be, be, in your, you know, be up where you're, you value your time and your talent, for sure. That's so true. And so since starting your business, how did you grow your team? When did you actually realize it was time to bring on new team members? And how did you find the right hires? Well, you know, that was pretty early on, actually. I think in October of last year, we had our first hire, which uh, she started out as my design assistant, and now she's a lead designer, uh, Johanna Marat. And that was, what, a couple months into your business? It was, I think we had been full-time almost six months by then. That's because, well, I know, right? Because the response was so overwhelming, and I only have, you know, I'm only one person, and like I said, I, I don't have a design degree. Right. I didn't want to run it willy-nilly. You know, I wanted to do it with systems. I wanted to do it you know, the right renderings, the right drawings, the right technical skill behind it. Because I'm not, you know, I'm not going back to school to do that. <laughs> I'm just not. So I said, well. Especially if it's working, right? <laughs> exactly. So I told Natalie, I said, yeah, you know, this is really taking off. I, I can't, I can't do all this. So we need to hire some help. So we hired her um, from an ad we put in on LinkedIn. 
which we got a lot of response for. Interesting. We had a lot of good applicants, actually. It was, it was a hard choice, but she's worked out terrific. And then we also have a freelancer that we have who is a, uh, has her degree in architecture. She's an architecture student, mm -hmm. um, actually graduate, and she does some of our freelance overflow work as well. Some of our more, you know, she works with engineers and architects, with OGCs more so. Hmm. Interesting. So for you, LinkedIn was the, the best way to find the hire because I know you also have a big social media presence and put a lot of efforts into your Instagram account, which is an amazing account. Thank you. And so you, you found that LinkedIn was better for your, for your area? I think so because it's, it's more of a B2B focus. And I think um, I did try putting out some ads on Facebook and I might have done a mention on um, Instagram, but it, it, the, the applicants that came in were more uh, fan-based, right, without the educational background. So bang for the buck, LinkedIn had the most qualified applicants. That's really good to know. Yeah, I mean they charge. It wasn't free, but I think right. it's worth it. Definitely, and you can never. It's all always about the team. Ivy is mm -hmm. Ivy because of our team members. Alex and I don't. You know, we bring something, but it's mostly the the amazing team behind it. I think it it's good. Team members are invaluable. <coughs> no, I, I agree, and it makes all the difference in the world. Because while I'm off doing, you know, the social media or going to New York for like we just came back from Barbara Vittieri's designer celebrity party, and now making the connections and networking. I have a team here also who can run the show. Yeah. So when you're the head of a firm, as I found out very quickly, probably too quickly, it's really my job to be the face and to bring in the clients and the networking and the, you know, the contractors and to make it rain. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, <laughs> yeah. And to cover the whole aesthetic picture. Yes. So, I mean, 18 months out of the gate, we've been in business and I'm kind of probably doing that a little faster than we expected, but it's been terrific. Amazing. So learning from industry peers is, you know, really priceless. And I'd love for you to share with us something you've learned from a fellow interior designer that has changed the way you do things today. I know you said being a part of Ivy's community. Um, so maybe there's a nugget of information in there that you, that you learned from, but I would love for you to share with us what is something that really has shaped the way you did something that you learned from a fellow designer. Well, the, well, the first thing that comes to mind is Susan Winterstein, right? Who's, who's really prolific on the design, the Ivy design group on Facebook and how she does her margins and her furniture sales and how she pays her staff. She and I have actually taken a couple phone calls and done emails back and forth. And she's been really very helpful with the advice that she's given me for you know how to you know i didn't even really know what a margin was <laughs> before i before i talked to her so <laughs> she's been extraordinarily helpful and that's where i don't you know split my discounts anymore and mark it up to a competitive that's so amazing did you did you ever meet in person no i haven't we were supposed to we were going to do um a cambria um I right. guess it's a tour together, but they didn't have any openings available, so we haven't met in person. We'll, we'll make it I'll happen one day. All of us. Oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. I would love. Yeah, I'd love to. I love her. I always call her WWSD. What would yeah, Susan? Do? Yeah, no. Yeah. She, <laughs> she was actually your first guest on our podcast. Yeah. I heard it. Yes, I did yeah, hear it because of that. So yeah. that's great. So I so I'd say the biggest takeaway it sounds like is to first of all the importance of margins and also not to share your discounts with clients. So you never share your trade discount. With with your clients, correct? Not, not now. What I'll do is I, if I can Google it and I find it on the internet at a pretty lowest common denominator price, but it's still retail, that's what I'll do. And also when I show clients the items, I won't, um, you know, I'll keep it very generic. It'll be, you know, okay, here's the side 
side table, or here's a lamp, and here's what it looks like, and this is the price without um, totally identifying it, and if it's not trade, you know, because if it's trade only, then I can't get it anyway. So I try to keep it just here it is and keep it competitive. So if they do find it, they're not going to be like, well, I found it on, you know, say house for $20 less, or it's, I try to keep it very competitive. So it's fair, but also it's fair for us because mm -hmm. at the end of the day, we run a business and I have people to pay. Yeah. yeah. And so I would love to hear a little bit more about your intentions for the rest of the year for your business. I see a lot of exciting things on your Instagram and I'd love to, for our listeners to be filled in as well. Thank you. Well, basically I just want to keep scaling, right? I, so I really have gotten down the, the hierarchy of the business model and how we run and our roles where I had said before, if I'm the owner the lead designer, my role is the networking, the marketing, the, the, consultations Natalie and I do the consultations we sell the consultation the original aesthetic and I would like to bring on more designers to take in more of the day-to-day -day, mm. or the lead role to free me up to do more of that the more of the blogging the videos and the, and the networking so that is what I see going down because I think in order to scale the business you have to you have to hire more people you know to, to be able to do that so you can take on more clients because right now our client client load is limited to me um, Natalie, even though she's not a designer, she does the books or what have you. Mm -hmm. And then my lead designer and my freelance designer. So that limits the revenue, right? Because we have a, we'll have a waiting list and I don't want a waiting list. If people want to use DPI, I want them to go ahead and do it. So that's, I think that's how you grow. You have to be exponential. Yes, that is. And you always have to be making the steps to keep on scaling. Otherwise you plan. Yeah. Exactly. So right now we're, we're actually, Natalie and I are in the process of putting together, um, which is a little overdue, but because we're still, we're still finding our groove, we're putting together a DPI handbook and making it very systems oriented. So anyone that we bring in will know exactly, this is how we do the consultation. This is how we do purchase orders. This is how we do to make it very scalable and easy to bring someone in. Makes a lot of sense. And before we sign off, I would okay. love to hear a bit about your new company you launched. Uh, so I, I saw a little bit about it, but why don't you share a bit, you know, about this, this new, this new project, which I find so exciting and inspiring as well. And I'm like, I love the entrepreneurial energy that you bring to the table, Darla. I find it inspiring. So thank I'm, you so much. Oh, we're so others will be inspired too. Woo! Yeah, we're so excited. Yeah, so, you know, you had mentioned earlier about the social media, right? So what I found out, not knowing, I always knew I loved design, but who the hell knew I loved social media and social media marketing, or I would be so good at it, and I have been, and I have designers coming to me saying, who does your social media? You know, I want to pay them to do it. I'm like, well, it's me. I want to pay you to do it. <laughs> so Natalie and I are like, man, there's a, there's a niche here. There's, a, there's an open field for social media marketing specifically tailored to interior design. Because I tried to find somebody. I was running my own social media. It was time consuming. And I could not find anybody who could do it and use my voice and my aesthetic. That's so great. And you know, we get requests all the time from designers about mm -hmm. this type of service. So why don't you get into the nitty gritty a little bit more and tell us, sure. so do you actually post on their behalf on their account? Of course. Yeah, we, we go, I have my, my social media manager. Her name is Stephanie Scholish. Yep. We go through and we do a complete discovery process. We find who you are as a designer. What's your aesthetic? What makes you tick? What are your business goals? And we come up with a complete uh, social media marketing plan tailored specifically for you. It's a very boutique you know, process. 
curated process for the designer. And the thing is, is because we're designers on this end and social media marketing experts, we're going to know, we're going to know your aesthetic. You know, I'm going to look at her and say, okay, this designer has, you know, she's very coastal and this is her vibe and this is the work that this is how we're going to speak or this is her voice and we get it quickly. So it sounds like you. I have, Stephanie runs a lot of my social media as well and she even fooled Natalie. She responded, she responded to Natalie on one of my posts and Natalie's like, uh, Natalie's my partner. She's like, oh, I thought it was you talking. <laughs> That's <laughs> name, so funny. That, name, that's so great. I actually have a client for you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> awesome. you <laughs> the name of the business is Wingnut Social because that's my nickname from when I was a cop. They called me Wingnut. Oh, so I thought that was a nice little great name. It's it's memorable. It's easy to easy to spell. I love it. So it's Thank just you. so everyone knows. So it's W I N G N U T uh, social.com. Is that correct, Earl? Yes, that's correct. And you go to wingnutsocial.com and reach out to us and we can go ahead and give you an analysis of your social media and give you a plan and you can take off. I, I, the reason I decided to do this was because I was so good. I, I had the, like 13,000 Instagram followers in a little bit over a year wow. because we have that special sauce, right? That, that authentic engagement, the storytelling, not just going out and getting numbers for the sake of numbers, but actually getting invested followers who are interested in you as your brand and you and your story. So I think that's important. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us, especially when you are running two very successful businesses. Thank you for sharing your passion with us and for empowering all the listeners today to, you know, push themselves to scale, to not just sit with their, with where they are today, but to think about all the different ways that they can grow and become a better entrepreneur, a better business person, and a better interior designer. So thank you so much. No, thank you so much for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm big fans. Thank you so much for your Ivy group. I love it. It's helped me out tremendously. I appreciate it. Thank you, Darla. <clears throat>